0: Proverbs chapter number 20, that's where we are. We got down through verse number 4 last week, so we're going to pick up in verse number 5 tonight. And I'm just guessing, but I think we'll probably get down through maybe verse uh, verse number 9 and uh, maybe, maybe into verse 10. But uh, we don't want to take more than we can digest. Like the old saying, the Mind can uh, the mind can absorb only what the seat of the britches can endure. So, we'll uh, give you a break and not you know not try to wear you out. But uh, verse five, counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. You know, one of the best things I think that we can do is to become uh, acquainted with human nature. I I can't remember one of the early philosophers who said, "Know thyself." Somebody might remember who said that, but it doesn't really make any difference because it's a very important statement. Uh, Know thyself, and we, you know, we really don't know ourselves like we uh, sometimes think we do. I'll never forget. Shortly after uh, after being saved, we had a fellow come and hold a meeting for us, and he was a preacher from over in Kansas, and uh, for for whatever reason, he had a service in the evening, about an hour before the evening service, and uh, dealt with some issues that normally, you you know, you, you don't take time to deal with in a regular service. And uh, it was one of the greatest blessings of my life. And I'll never forget, he was so intent on not being disturbed, they had a time that it started, I, I don't remember, 5.30 or 6 o'clock or whatever. And uh, at that minute, they they locked the doors. If you got there late, you couldn't get in. It was just, uh, didn't want to disrupt things. But I'm saying all that to say this. It was during those classes, uh, the, 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 first, the first time, of course, I hadn't been saved very long. But I'd started reading everything I could get my hands on, studying the Bible every night. I'd, I'd get home from work, and if we didn't have something going on at church, I'd be studying until 12, you know, midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning every night. No TV, three years except on, the, you know, the bowl games there around the New Year's, and that that was it. But but he began to he, to explain to us the difference between the body and the soul and the spirit, and 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 a lot of people have no idea. That, you know, we recognize the body, of course. That's a physical outward part of us, the seat of our world consciousness. You know, and we relate to things. I know this is metal. I you know I can even maybe get within ten degrees of the temperature, and I can relate to that. Just by touch and through my eyes I can see and I can hear and uh, so forth. But then then we have an inner person. And that inner person is made up of our soul and our spirit. And, and our soul, of course, is our uh, seed of self-consciousness, the mind, will, and the emotion. And the spirit has to do with our, our God-consciousness. That makes us different than any other tr- uh, part of... God's creation. Now, I'm saying all that for a reason. You know, we're not going to do a study on, you know, the the trinity of man tonight or anything, but I'm trying to make a point that it's important that we understand something about human nature, and that's true whether you're the pastor of a church or whether you are a parent. It's important that you understand what makes people tick Uh, Teachers need to understand that because if we're going to communicate with others, we've got to understand how they think. It's important whether it maybe has to do with your spouse or if you're an employer or an employee or whatever it is. As long as you're in this world, you've got to interact with other people. God made us that way. We, uh, as he said, it's not good for man to be alone, so he made us as social beings we need that contact one with another. And so it helps us if we understand each other. Now notice here he's speaking about the counsel of a man's heart. And this word counsel has to do with thoughts or with purposes. And he tells us that a man's thoughts or his purposes are hidden within the depths of his heart. And, and notice he, he even likens it unto deep water. In other words, it's something difficult to, to fathom. It's down deep. It's not something on the surface, not something that you easily see. But notice he says, a person of understanding will draw that out. It's there and and you, you'll you never know it, but if you're a person of understanding, you'll draw that out. Now, that's important for at least two reasons that I can think of. Number one, it enables us to detect evil intent uh, that's hidden away in a person's heart. Believe me, not all of the promises you hear are true. Not all of the words of flattery that people, you know, Gush upon you with not, not all of those are true. Boy, I get it back in the political game here really easy. You know, somebody can stand up there on a stage during a debate or giving a speech and, oh wow, they just are so sweet and so nice and so wonderful. And yet they are nothing like that in public whatsoever. So it's important that we understand that there are a lot of deceivers in this world, and we need perception. We need the ability to understand and to draw out, as it were, in our contact with people, uh, the counsels of their heart. We need that perception in order to protect ourselves. Uh, have you ever noticed how easy it is to, uh, uh, to just swallow something hook, line, and sinker? if it comes from someone let's say with a really charming personality and they're wow you know they're just one of these people you know what I mean some of these uh, uh, motivational speakers and what have you and then they can sell popcorn in the desert I mean they just I mean they just know how to do it and all of a sudden just like a college professor We send some kid off to college, you know, and we think they're rooted and grounded in the faith, and they've got everything down pat, and they get off in college, and they come into contact with this professor that is brilliant in so many ways, and highly educated, and before you know it, he's got them believing in evolution or something. And, And so we need to protect ourselves, and we do that, by perception, by being people of understanding. But secondly, uh, there's, there's a flip side to that coin. Not only does this enable us to detect the evil that's in the heart of other people, but it helps us also, to, I think, to draw out from them valuable information think about the the first thing pops into my mind is the queen of sheba you know whenever she goes to solomon and well she'd been hearing about this guy all these years and and uh, it's just it's something that's just you know mind boggling to her how somebody could uh, have a reputation for being so brilliant so wise and it tells us that she went to him and she asked him many hard questions. In other words, she was, I mean, coming at him from every angle, asking all of these different questions, trying to draw out as much information as she could from him. And finally she concludes that this guy is something else. And she says, she says the half was not even told unto me. I mean, wow, this guy is something. Well, let me tell you, during the course of life, you're going to come into contact with a lot of people that will not just naturally offer you information. You're going to have to draw it out. You're going to have to pick their brain, as it were, Now, I, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, they don't want to converse with others like that. They just want everything to be superficial and just, hi, how are you today? I hear it's going to rain. Well, JJ's injured. We're not going to win another game, da, da, da. And that's about the depth of, you know, the average conversation, it seems. But the wise person, the wise person, notice, is the person that that is able to draw out the thoughts and the intents and the purposes of a man's heart. And a lot of times we can learn things from people in whom others see no value. By that I mean that the person that you're talking to might not be as intelligent as you are or as intelligent as somebody else. They might not be nearly so educated as you are. And a lot of times we just write them off like, you know, well... Uh, they they don't have anything they can teach me, you know, and so we just uh, we just give them a pass and treat them like they're second-rate citizens sometimes and pay no attention to them. But let me tell you, we can learn something from everyone. I, I can't remember if it was General Schwarzkopf, I believe it was, and, and others have said basically the same thing. Uh, somebody said every man is my teacher, but Schwarzkopf, I believe it was, that said I can I can learn something from anybody, and, and and there's a lot of truth in that. We can learn from their successes or we can learn from their failures. But the point I'm trying to get at is a lot of times. Let me tell you, you go down, let's say, in the hills of the Ozarks or. Or out here, let's say, in West Texas, and you go into those, one of them little country stores, you know, might have a pot-belly stove sitting in the middle, and you got some guys sitting around there whittling on a stick, and they're just old farmers and stuff. You know, they've never been to college. Some of them never even went through high school. And let me tell you, those people are a lot smarter than you think they are. And, and we do ourselves a big favor whenever we interact with them. And, and, and if you know somebody like that, it, it's a great thing. I can remember as a very, very, very young preacher, there was a fellow that, in fact, I'd gone to, I'd gone to school with this guy's son. And, uh, he had, he had a, uh, a feed mill there in town. I, I never met him before or anything, but, I heard that he he sold Christian books, and, and sure enough, I went there to his office, and I met Max and went in. He had Christian books, and you know just a few in there. But anyway, and just being able to sit and to talk with him because I was like a sponge, I was soaking up, you know, everything. And here was a guy that you know that you just meet during the normal course of things, and you think this guy's a dummy. He's just an old country boy, but he, he probably knew more about the Bible than than a lot of the professors there in Bible college. And whenever you find people like that, you need to you need to not only give them the respect of treating them like a fellow human being instead of looking down upon them, but you need to draw out from them uh, what is in their heart. Uh, Brother Dennis Maxey, anybody who has been here very long remembers Brother, Brother Dennis. Of course, Betty's still a member and can't attend much, but Dennis was really good at that. Yeah, uh, you, you know, he he never wasted a fishing trip, and uh, brother brother Rick can tell you, brother Rick and Dennis and I, and uh, you know, we were able to spend quite a bit of time together. But he was the kind of guy that you know, whether you stop somewhere at Waterburger to uh, to get a burger or whatever, he, he was a, a great listener, and he wasn't one of those that just sat there waiting waiting until you had something to say and be willing to sit and listen to you. He he had this unique way, and it took me a while. I finally figured out what he was doing. He was making me say things I didn't want to say. Yeah, I mean, really? I mean, why am I talking about this? And then I began to realize, boy, that guy's sneaky. He's really good. And, and, and there wasn't anything wrong with it. Uh, and, and, and in fact, he was showing interest you know, in me, and uh, we just had a way of drawing that out. We we need to, to ask God to, to teach us to learn from others, and and that comes from getting the wisdom that God gives to us. Now, verse six: Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. Boy, that's the understatement of the century. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Now you look at the first part of this verse here, and today, you know, we, we would say it's common for people to toot their own horn, right? In, in other words, it, 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 it's, a, it's a common thing for people to 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 point out all of their good points and Like I say so many times, they nearly break their arm patting themselves on the back and uh, they just want to parade themselves before other people. They want to boast about all of the things that they've done. They they really just want to leave the impression that, you know, I'm a little bit better than you are, a little bit smarter than you are, or or whatever. The Lord dealt with those kind of people there in Matthew chapter number 6 where and of course, he had a he had a special name for them, and it was called hypocrites. It's talking about the self-righteous Pharisees of that day. You know, that looked down upon others. They thought themselves to be superior to everybody else. And they paraded their religion for all to see, and they proclaiming everyone his own goodness. That listen, that was the very thing that damned their soul. You'll remember when Paul was talking about his heart's desire in Romans chapter number ten, said, "Brother, my heart's de- desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved." Well boy, if religion could save anybody, they would have all been saved because they had religion, you know, running out their ears. They had plenty of religion, but he talked about the fact that they had a righteousness, but it was not the righteousness of God. It was a, it was man's righteousness and that will never suffice you know, for us to be reconciled to a holy God. But that's what they depended upon and thought themselves to be better than anyone else. Now, most men proclaim everyone his own goodness. Now, look at the contrast, though. And it's important that we notice this because the contrast speaks about a faithful man. And just by virtue of the fact that he draws a contrast is telling us that you know that these people are rare because he says notice that a faithful man who can find we would just say they're far far and few between you just don't find very many of them and uh, so when i look at the second part it helps me to better understand the first part because evidently, you know, these these people are quick to make promises and to boast about what they're going to do, but they actually never do it. They're all promise, no performance. But the faithful man is somebody that you can depend upon, somebody that you can trust. A faithful man. I mean, that's a person that you can depend upon. And they, whenever they give you information, you can take it to the bank. And boy, do we ever need people like that today. I think it was Sunday I was talking about the requirement. It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful, and every child of God ought to be determined in their heart that they're going to live a life of faithfulness unto the Lord, because that's the thing that motivates a ministry in the church. We're just about to celebrate our church anniversary and I was writing out the pastor pen working on it just before I left in fact and uh, and and just a little brief mention there that we even still have some of the charter members uh, whenever uh, when Northway was was organized. I know Earl and Beverly were and I I can't remember who else but uh, there's still a few of those folks around. Let me tell you whether it's this church or another church no church is able to minister effectively and to continue on year after year after year without somebody staying by the stuff, somebody doing the job and doing the work that you can depend upon. And, and I, can, I can guarantee you there are people here tonight that just, you don't feel good. You just, like a lot of us, you've got aches and pains and what have you, and sometimes you can go and sometimes you can't. But but you're determined in your heart to do your best to be faithful, and we have no idea what a great debt we owe to people like that that are faithful, just faithful. I, I, every 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 Sunday, Sunday Pardue comes in, sits right over there, and you know I've I've got to tell you, and I hate to admit this, and and, and I was surely wrong. Whenever Linda died, I really thought to myself. I thought, boy, I I I just doubt if Sunday's going to keep coming. I I I just I, I don't know why I doubted that, but but I did. and I'm confessing that my wrong. And 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 I've often said, boy, if if anybody was ever a model of faithfulness, it was Linda Pardue. Man, bless her heart, she would come in her. She was all crippled up and and in pain and what have you. But if she could, every time the doors were open, she was here. And now I see Sonny doing the same thing. He's coming, you know, week after week after week. Thank God for that. We owe a great debt to people like you folks that are so faithful. And uh, we thank God for you. Verse 7, the just man walketh in his integrity, and his children are blessed after him. Now, here the focus is on the just man, and this is speaking about a person of integrity. It's speaking about somebody that is honest, somebody that is sincere. That word implies wholeness or completeness. And it has to do with people that walk uprightly, instead of going the way of the world, instead of taking the, you know, the, the the path that leads into sin. These people are surrendered to God, and they're kind to others, and they do the right things. Their 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 steps are guided by God's principles. Their motives are pure. They're not perfect, but they want to be. They have a desire in their heart to be as perfect as they possibly can, and they know better than anybody else that they come short of the glory of God. They know that they fail, but they want to be the very best that they can. And uh, so he, he says, the blessed man walketh in his integrity. Uh, word walketh implying their manner of life, their course of life. In other words, it's not something they just do whenever they come to church. It's something they do when they go to work or wherever they're at. It, it is their manner of life to walk in their integrity. Now, having mentioned, having mentioned his characteristic, that is, that of integrity, notice he speaks about his crown. That is, the reward of of this person, and to me it's interesting, it says his children are blessed after him. His children are blessed after him. That's the reward of a righteous man, and and, you know, that's what a man like that desires. I think certainly every parent that loves the Lord and loves their children, they want to see their children to be holy and happy they 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 want to see their children experience god's best for their life and uh, we ought to never forget that as parents that we have a major impact uh... on their life or or sunday school teachers or awana workers we make a major impact on their lives and so you know those whenever you think about your kids and how much you love them you you don't need to be inspired by the promise of a great reward in heaven and silver or gold or, you know, even riches down here. Just knowing just knowing that you have had an influence, a godly influence on your children, and you see them begin to develop those godly habits in their life, and you see them take an active part in the Lord's work that's the crown right there. That's the reward right there. That's the reward of your integrity. And listen, we can't expect it to turn out like that. And We get just a little bit later here in some verses that are ahead, and we're going to really kind of camp out on that idea and the importance of that where it deals with parents and with the children and how important it is that we model righteousness before them because we're we're basically, uh, you know, uh, establishing a path that they're going to take and we better make sure it's the right one. Verse 8, A king that sitteth in the throne of judgment scattereth away all evil, With his eyes, and you know, I I I, I've got to admit, I'm not sure that I understand all that is implied there. I think certainly that it it has to do with the fact that the king sees through evil devices and pretenses and what have you. Notice he scattereth away all evil with his eyes. And uh, so he's able to see and to detect these things that are wrong, these things that pose a threat, you know, to uh, to his kingdom. That reminds me of Christ over there in, in, in the book of Hebrews where it says, All things are open and naked under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And, and, you know, knowing that he knows, that makes a big difference on the way that we behave, doesn't it? I mean, it should anyway. Just knowing that he knows. It's not that he has to threaten to hit us with a two before or, you know, deplete our bank account or something like that, but just knowing that he knows. That just eats at you. When you know something's not right in your heart and you know you're hiding it from everybody else, but you know he knows. Boy, I'll tell you what, that'll choke a preacher up faster than anything in all of the world. And that'll rob you of your joy faster than anything in all of the world. So it's very important. But I think there's something else here. Not only his perception, but it says here, He scattereth away all evil with his eyes. You know, the Bible talks about the fact that the Lord guides us with his eye. In, in other words, by having that intimate relationship with the Lord, and as we commune with the Lord, uh, that that He is able, as it were, uh, in those moments to literally guide us. And I always think about, you know, children and parents, and uh, boys, sometimes all it takes is that look. My kids all know what uh, what that look is whenever Babe gave them that look, and they're growing up, and they they knew the look comes first and after that it's something else and so you know I'd be preaching and she'd get up and outside and here they'd come back in and uh, but usually you know after a while that look is all that it takes you see and so we, we need to be mindful of the dangers in life and avoid that let, let me let, let me try to get through this next verse I I I don't want to just leave it hanging, and I don't want to do it an injustice, but it's really important. Verse 9, who can say, I have made my heart clean? Now think about that a little bit. Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I'm pure from my sin. Now let me tell you, there are a lot of folks that that would claim that, a lot of folks would say they have. And it's interesting that this same question was asked over in the book of Job in chapter 14. The same question, but, but there's a difference. In that verse, he gives us the answer. He asked the same question, who can say I've made my hands clean, uh, that I am pure from my sin, and then, then he says, not one. <laughs> not one. Nobody can say that they have made their hands clean, their heart clean. Nobody can say that they're pure before God, that they have done it, because the Bible tells us, and let me give you three things in trying to wrap this up. Number one, all of sin. All of a sudden to come short of the glory of God. The very best among us fall short of God's glory. I was writing an article the other day and I was really wanting to preach a sermon. Maybe I'll get around to it sometime. But it had to do with this very thing that we come short of the glory of God. And 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 so I I jotted down, I said, you know, what does that mean? And the next comment was, not very much, at least to most people. Because, you know, a lot of times we think about our sinful actions, we think about the things that we do that are not acceptable in society, but we really fail to understand why we're sinners. We're sinners because we come short of the glory of God. And that is so important, and I'm going to have to just kind of leave that thought hanging there with you, but we have all sinned. Secondly, none can cleanse themselves. Nobody can cleanse themselves. You you can't change what you've done. For example, you 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 can never change that. I, I mean, it's all your deeds are irrevocable. It's done. It's over. You can't change that. You can't change it. By the way, you can't compensate for your past sins. You can't say, "Well, boy, I'm you know I was a horrible sinner and what have you." But I'm going to compensate for those bad things by doing good things. That's not good enough. You can't change the past. You can't compensate for the past. You can't cleanse yourself from your sin. It's like, you know, the the Bible talking about, can the leopard uh, leopard change its spots? Absolutely not. It's impossible. And whenever we think about our defilement of sin, it is humanly impossible for us to cleanse ourselves. And that's why we must be born again. We must have a spiritual life, and only God can cleanse us from our sins. And that's, listen, it's that great truth upon which all of our hope of heaven is built the fact that He can and He does cleanse us from all of our sins. Boy, I can't think of anything better to leave on tonight than to be reminded that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. Not just some of our sins, but from all of our sins. Regardless of who you are or what you've done, uh, you can have a relationship, a personal relationship with God by putting your trust in Jesus Christ, whatever you do, don't don't walk away from that. I mean, that's an offer you cannot refuse. Well, we're going to stop there tonight, and Lord willing, uh, we'll pick up in uh, in verse number ten next week. But I I hope tonight that we've uh, considered something that'll be a help and a blessing to your life and. You know, a lot, of, a lot of times, maybe uh, after the service that I've just given you some food for thought, you'll go home and open your Bible and set and to think, think about what we've talked about and meditate on it and let God use that uh, uh, to to help you be more the person that He would have you to be more like Christ. How about we sing a chorus, Tim? You got time for that? you got one on on your heart? Anything? All right. Let's all stand to be.